Welcome to another episode of Horror Dads. This is episode 12. You're joined by your host, John, and... Jamie. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. How are you? Great, as always. This is a really good episode. It's another interview episode, and we uh, talk about indie horror films, which is a, I guess, one subgenre we've not really delved too much into. Yeah, I feel like it might be underappreciated. Um, just maybe less touched on for sure by us and maybe by the mass community, but I feel like people are coming around. Yeah, we, we interview uh, a guy named Steven uh, Tramontana, and he is he's fucking great. Awesome, he, dude. Yeah, we, we had a really good time talking to him, and you know after we wrapped the episode, we hung on the phone with him and just talked to him for another you know, half an hour, just about. I mean, even before the interview. Yeah. Like, yeah, we bookended with great conversations. Yeah, so we've been super fortunate throughout this entire thing to to find people like Steven, and he's another great great interview, so we're going to get into it with him shortly here, but before that, we're going to do our normal intro stuff and talk to each other about the things that we love. So, Jamie, what's going on with your family, man? So the family's good. Um, everybody's Just being a horror you know, dad? Doing the thing, yep. Um, so I got... <clears throat> the one thing I haven't really bought much uh, since the past episode, uh, my Austin Pardon print, which I mentioned that my wife bought me from Father's Day, finally came in. Yeah. There was a little delay. I don't know, probably COVID related, but it came in this week. I got it framed up. It looks. It looks nice, man. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I posted it on Instagram. It's the like the anatomy of Michael Myers' face, like behind the mask, essentially. Yeah, which um, is a really cool concept. So I got that printed and put up. He actually did a design for Cavity Colors a year or so ago, which was like the anatomy of a pumpkin or like a jack-o'-lantern. Similar like the concept, same concept. yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think that's maybe where Austin Pardon hit my radar. And ever since, I just, so, so anything many he puts out, I love, from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I put that on the wall, and my oldest son, Ryland, came in the office, and, like, I turned around, and his jaw was just dropped. He just was standing there, like, jaw agape, uh, staring at it, and he was like, what is that? Is it his inside? And I said, well, you know, essentially, it's... This is science, child. Yeah, Take it's like, notes, Yeah. It's, I said it's not real, obviously, but it's supposed to be, like, yeah. what's inside the mask. So, he left, <clears throat> came back in a couple hours later, and I noticed him still standing there, and he said, still thinking so, about it. it's inside of him? I said, I... Well, yeah, kind of. Again, yeah. it's not real, but, yeah, it's... So, he's been very intrigued by this uh, poster and the whole idea of it, which is cool. Yeah, that is cool. And that's a great print, so awesome gift from my sister to you. Dude, it is... I love it. I've got a pretty funny funny uh, family antic here. So, I recently subscribed to the Alone in the Dark Patreon, and in doing so, jumped on their merch store and bought one of their t-shirts. And it is a Halloween 4 t-shirt, uh, the character Wade... Um, it's the the fuck off Wade yeah. T-shirt, which is a very I love, I notorious love that concept. Yeah, notorious quote in the film: "Fuck off, Wade." Uh, so it's it's a picture of Wade's face, and it says "Fuck off, Wade." 
So, the day it got here, I instantly put it on. Even, like, COVID, I put it on without washing it, and then I sprayed myself with, uh, just spraying myself with Lysol. And Brittany was like, where are you going to wear this? And I told her, I was like, I, uh, I don't know, the golf course? I'll wear it. And so I had it on, we <laughs> ate dinner, and then typically after dinner we'll go on like a bike ride with the kids. Yeah. So I throw Luna in the cart behind me, Finley's on her bike, Brittany's on hers. We're going, we went on a ride, like this was like a four or five miler. And we're going through this like pretty posh neighborhood. And I looked down and I was like, oh my God, I still have this fuck off Wade shirt on. <laughs> and we're going through this neighborhood and there are all these dads like washing their cars and these families, like these kids playing baseball. And I'm just cruising around in this shirt. And we got some, I got some actual looks. And this one guy goes, he's like, are you lost? Are you looking for the bike trail? And I was like, no, I live uh, right over here. And he was like, okay. And it was kind of like, get out of my neighborhood. <laughs> so we got home and Brittany was like, yeah, how's that shirt working out for you? Uh, pretty funny. I love that. So you, so you haven't been buying much. I, I've got a couple things. Uh, one thing I haven't been buying is Scream on Blu-ray. Um, keep trying I mean, to do so. Blu-rays are scarce right now. Yeah. Supply and demand. Uh, I did, I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. Uh, podcast but uh matt pepler's been getting into screen printing lately so i just today received uh the outpost 31 t-shirt he printed the camp book and poster so they all look amazing thank you matt you showed me that shirt it looks great yep um got my patreon subscription dead alone in the dark that i just mentioned and uh they sent me a customized if you find yourself alone in the dark message which is really cool so um i listened to it and it wasn't even for me and i was smiling like an actual creep when i was outside like pulling weeds out of my garden bed (laughs) i i honestly just thank you guys if you listen to this episode thank you yeah Um, we as we always discuss and love uh discuss our love for cavity colors we will never stop discussing our love for alone in the dark yeah it's just a thing yep that's, Mike and, and Maddie are in our hearts forever. And that's why uh, we do this podcast is to talk about all things horror that we love. And that's another yep. one of those things. So uh, thank you guys. Uh, and then I'd be remiss not to mention, which is going to lead us into our next segment, uh, what I currently have on right now, uh, which is my Stab t-shirt, which was gifted to us so kindly from our friends over at Nostaljunk, um, Matt uh, Junk, thank you. Uh, he bought a stab t-shirt for me and a stab t-shirt for Jamie and mailed them to my home. And we really appreciate you guys. Great recent content from those, from those dudes. They covered Fright Night. Uh, they just covered Videodrome. So they, they cover a lot of horror content over there too. So yeah, if you've not listened to, uh, to the Nostaljunk podcast, definitely t- check them out too. They did a um, it's perfect time of year for it. They did a sleepaway camp episode a couple weeks ago as well. Yeah, yeah. Great episode. What are you wearing, man? I am wearing a... So this is from a website called Designed by Humans. Uh, yeah. You know, it's an artist collective. I don't... Unfortunately, I don't know the name of the artist, but it's like a tank top, but it's a essentially like a pumpkin head like 
ghastly, ghoulish, pumpkin head type deal. He's got some like uh, tendril type claws too on it. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. a nice. It, the tank top. I love it. My tank tops it are a need. It was like ninety three sure. today, so. Uh, but she unfortunately did not remember the name of the artist, and I've tried looking it up, and I can't find it. But yeah, it's maybe a great we'll part. post a picture of it. What do you What have you been watching lately? Uh, yeah. So anything new? I watched. So I very rarely do I blind watch something now without like checking IMDb or you know Rotten Tomatoes to see. Oh, that palette uh, getting a little refined over there. Yeah. So I picked this random. I was you know scrolling through like we all do. Um, endlessly, it seems yeah. sometimes. So I was on sc- streaming through um, Showtime, and they had a <clears throat> there was a movie on there called Player Die. Remind me to check IMDb from now on before I watch a movie, uh, because this movie was. <laughs> I, I don't want to. We don't, don't hate on things bash, here, but we're positive people. And to be honest, it wasn't. Um, the premise was great. The premise was fine. It was like the escape room. You just weren't into almost it. Almost like Hellraiser, Hellworld type premise, which I actually really love the movie, um, even though it's not very good. But it's like, uh, it goes off the rails Is in the middle. Is tor- it torture a little bit? or mm, it, it So it does like escape room, that. Saw-ish. Yeah. yeah. It, but it goes off the rails. Like if it stuck to that, I think it would have been a lot better. Uh, but it like in the middle, it kind of I feel like it almost gets confused as to what it's trying to do, and then the end is totally like, just get the fuck out of here. By the end, you're like, no, you fucked it up. Like you totally, you had me a kind of a little bit, and then now I'm like, now I'm pissed. Uh, I've been watching some stuff too as of late. Uh, I checked out the new Invisible Man. Uh, I fell asleep twice. Um, it it's good though. Well, yeah. we, you and I both we tell people all the time we have a very hard time watching new movies. Yeah. Uh, because the only time we should call our segment of what we watched essentially like what have you fallen asleep what have you to? fallen asleep to lately? Because the small amount the small window of time that we get to watch movies is essentially like scrolling for 20 minutes to find what you're going to watch and then falling asleep. To then it's 10:45. 15 minutes. And yeah. Before you know it, it's 11.45 and your wind- eyeballs are closed. <laughs> That's the yeah. window of time we get. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I've been wanting to watch this movie. What did you think? Have you made it through the whole thing yet? Uh, I've not, and my rental has expired. Uh, so, <laughs> I don't have to wait for it to come yeah. on some, one of the services I pay for. But, honestly, it's very well acted. It's a reimagining of a classic story. It's It's good. So... I would certainly recommend it, though my my representation is not a good one right now, just because I, I I nodded off twice. But yeah, no, we can't count uh, whatever you say. Yeah, yeah, but it it's well acted, it's well written, um, it's well shot. It's it's a good film. I so. mean, I hear nothing but rave reviews. I can't wait to watch it. I, also, you know, another one that I I feel so stupid sometimes when people say you ha- like you haven't seen this movie. Like I I want to watch Doctor Sleep really bad. I but I know not, that yeah. I will be Dr. Sleep when I put it on. <laughs> it's Do just you, the way uh, it's going to go. Wait, you haven't been Dr. Sleep yet? <laughs> so speaking of Dr. Sleep, I actually, particularly through quarantine, um, have been very into Audible and listening to audiobooks. So I... 
did listen through The Outsider, Stephen King's The Outsider. Yeah, what did you think? I was really into it. Um, I haven't watched the show yet, so I'm going to... Because I watched to... the show and did not read the book or listen to it. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to check out the show for sure next. We do want to call a quick special thanks to somebody, right, James? Yeah, Horror Stevie. Yeah, so we, we've been talking about uh, Father's Day presents over the past uh, couple episodes here, and we definitely got one from uh, Horror Stevie. Yeah, so on actually on Father's Day, Horror Stevie uh, sent us a message asking if they could send us some stickers, uh, which we gladly fucking accepted. Yeah. Uh, they sent those over, and they're amazing. We're going to post some photos. Uh, we're going to start adding stickers uh, to our table, which we already have done. Yeah, our uh, podcast we, table. We post the photos. Um, we want to f- just fill it up with, you know. So if you got stickers, send them our way. But thank you if you guys don't follow um, at Horror Stevie on Instagram. Check it out. It's I'm a, sure it's a really most fun people feed. probably yeah. do, but he's great. Um, All right, let's get into it. This uh, this is a great episode. Yeah, you guys are going to love this interview. Fun, fun interview. Uh, and we talked about a movie with a very dear friend of ours in it um, called Killer Pinata. So... I would maybe pause here if you've not seen that. Go watch that movie, then listen to the episode. Absolutely. Okay, welcome to episode 12 of Horror Dads. We are thrilled to be joined today by our new friend, Stephen Tramontana, who's a screenwriter and director. Stephen, welcome. Welcome in, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be uh, invited to this party. Yeah, I, we should probably start uh, by discussing how <laughs> the backdoor way that we uh, found each other, um, which was which was pretty crazy and fun and cool. Um so, so Steven has directed a film that we're going to talk about today uh, called Killer Pinata, um, which is a horror film. And uh, one of Jamie and I's closest friends on this planet, Eliza Morris, uh, stars in this film. Is right? the final girl. Yep. Yeah, she's the final girl in this movie. And uh, through Instagram over the past you know few months, we've been interacting with a lot of folks and angry mule productions um with whom uh you know steven is obviously affiliated with that we're going to talk about you know we we found them or they found us on instagram or something and the the cover image was killer pinata so i instantly i was in the middle of working out and i direct message and i was like oh my god killer <laughs> pinata we we have a very dear friend in that film and then it just blossomed into this conversation so yeah here we are no, this is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and isn't it weird how that works? I mean, horror, it's such a small community, you know, at the end of the day. It's the best community. Yeah. True it's, True story. It's, yeah. it's uh, really cool that, that we had a chance to, to be here, and this is going to be fun. So uh, we, mm. we appreciate you, man. Yeah, we've been uh, looking forward to this one for a while. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. So I guess we can start with uh, just... Let's talk first, I guess, about Angry Mule Productions, which is your production company. So maybe talk about the production company and like the role that you um, uh, serve in the whole process and and things like that. Yeah. So Angry Mule is four of us. 
Um, it's myself and then Jen Kunkel, who is our producer and organizer and, you know, just the, the head chef. And then Paul Summers, who is kind of our like visual maestro. Um, he does a lot of our color grading. He's our DP. He also is a musician. Um, so he's done our score. He did the score for KP. Um, and then Ryan Aldrich, who um, is also our composer. He's taken lead on the last couple of movies and does our sound mixing. So we're kind of this crew of four that uh, get together and, you know, just try to figure out what we want to make. Um, and largely, I mean, I have to, you know, get you know be a little humble here because i'm one the one that comes to them and says hey i have an idea for a short or a movie and they go okay let's do it um and then everyone just kind of puts their energy in and we talk about it we work through everything so it's a it's unique in that way because i think in a lot of production companies especially if you're doing like low budget micro budget you might have one or two people kind of like you know the head creatives and then everyone kind of comes in as a vendor. Um, but in this case, we really are four that have complementary skill sets and we just work, you know, in tandem, um, until we get what we want. And so, uh, the last, the last thing I'll put together for angry mule is that we definitely have a, you know, a credo of saying like every one of the movies we do, we want it to have heart, humor, and horror. Um, and some variation of that. So when we're yeah, kind of, awesome. <laughs> yeah, like putting stories together, it's like, we don't have much interest in just doing like, you know, uh, a mass killer hunting people. We want to make sure that there's some emotional thread throughout it, that it's got plenty of humor. <laughs> I, I'm saying this in two of our, our bigger shorts have very little humor, but we're always trying to find that way to make them a bit more accessible for folks. Sure. Yeah. And, and you guys are Chicago based. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're all in Chicago and uh, yeah, we work together every day and yeah, just try to come up with, with new fun stuff. And Jamie and I used to live in Chicago um, and Eliza, who's our mutual friend in this, um, in this connection, she, she still lives in Chicago and it's weird to think that we have probably in, been in the same bar at the same time together uh, at some point in life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and never, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, cool. So, you know, as is typically our process when we do some interviews, we'll, we'll, we'll lob some questions your way, but we've kind of asked, asked you to pick a, a few movies, um, in mm. the, in the form of, you know, independent hor- horror, indie horror that yeah. we're going to cover. And, and, you know, Steven was kind enough to give us three. And then we told him that we're going to take two of those and then also focus on killer pinata as one. So he did not pick killer pinata as one of his favorite <laughs> movies as he directed it. Uh, but Jamie and I really wanted to talk about it. So, uh, we'll talk about that and two other films. So we'll just jump into a couple quick questions here. But, you know, what got you into, you know, directing and film production? And I guess what drew you toward this, you know, this discipline, this uh, subgenre? That's a good question. Um, I think it was, you know, one of those things that was always in, you know, my DNA. I think kids, kids kind of tell you who they are. Um, you know, they'll have interests. And I always am fascinated by that because like Jen's kid, for instance, Oscar, he's like a musician. This kid loves music. He plays very well. Muse for, uh, he plays well for four year old, (laughs) but it's like one of those where you're like, Oh yeah, dude, like it's, it's in, it's in this kid. And I, um, I kind of feel like it was the same way with like visual storytelling because when I was a kid, um, I took to comic books very, very quickly. Um, and I took to movies and, and kind of spooky stuff very quickly. So I remember like really liking, uh, so just to set the table here, um, I was born in 1980, so I'm a true eighties kid. 
Uh, and so I remember like being very young and listening to like Thriller. I thought Thriller was just the coolest thing when I was like three or four. That was and such then a gateway in... for so many people, I feel. It was such yeah. a horror event too, like when that would be on TV. You know, it was that right amount of spooky, which is great that it had like Vincent Price, right? Because you're like, oh yeah, this is a, a Vincent Price like throwback yeah. joint yeah. kind of thing. So I always kind of had an interest in like visual spooky stuff. And then I grew up in a small Colorado town called Durango. Um, and... You know, I think like a lot of, again, like 80s kids, when you're trying to figure out how to do things and you have a camcorder in the house, it's like you and your friends um, and your brothers are all out there messing around with it, trying to replicate what you're seeing on TV or in movies. Sure. And just through that process, you know, originally, I, I think I liked writing first always, but I couldn't find anybody in my small Western town that wanted to direct. So then I just took lead on it. And then through that process, began to really like it and try to like figure out how to make it work and um, Nobody else so, has a drum set, so you better be a drummer. Yeah, with that. Deal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, you just kind of find your way. Yep. Um, and so then, as you go along, you know, I think it's it's captivating. And I remember feeling this way even when I was a kid. That um, I think we look at art different than we look at math, but to me, they're kind of the same thing, right? Like creating something successfully is an equation and unless you get every piece of that equation right the ending won't come out the way you hope or is right so i'm like oh yeah so that's the part of it that i'm like okay i know what we need to do but now we have to make a bunch of decisions and work our way backwards to get to that ending you know yeah yeah for that sure. final product that's that's cool so I, I guess at what point did you realize horror was your thing or, or was thriller at that point <laughs> no, I think like um, probably like around like seven or eight. Um, my mom, like in hindsight, at the time, she probably wouldn't have won Parent of the Year, but she was very supportive of horror. She actually would read me like Stephen King, like as a bedtime story, you know, um, his lighter stuff, but still Stephen King. And then she was the one that introduced me to like Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger and, and that mania was kind of going on at the time. And you know, she's like, yeah, uh, let me show you part three, because I think part three is kind of a more fantastical take than and a little easier than part one. But it was then those it's definitely like, franchise... when the, the, the scale tipped for sure. For sure. Yeah. You wouldn't want to show a seven year old part two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go swimming so at your friend's house. It'll be fine. <laughs> you won't. No, no one's going to jump out of the pool and cut you in half with their hand. <laughs> right. Or like the first one where, you know, Tina's like brutal oh, death, which God. is still just such an effective sequence, you know. Um, yeah, I saw gets, that way too young. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, So, you know, when you get into those and, and I think franchise horror really helped a lot of people get into horror, you know, because by that point, late 80s, kind of early 90s, a lot of those um, uh, franchises were kind of getting out of like true horror, more like into like supervillain territory. Right. Yeah, the, definitely. You know, so it was a really easy way for kids to kind of make that jump. And what's funny is I think like it, it was the same way for our parents. So like whereas we were Freddie, Jason, Chucky, you know, kids, our parents were like the Frankenstein, Dracula creature kids. And so it's like this weird thing where you get these franchises that help that, you know, get watered down, that help kids into that next level where you're like, cool, now I know there's all this stuff. There's, you know, gore and, and foreign movies and all this stuff that I can get into, all these rabbit holes. Um, it's interesting. And then, I feel like okay. out of all the people that we've talked to thus far, you're the first person who has described an environment that they grew up in where they weren't a misfit and that you had like a... Because I, I had that with my mom for sure. She was always like, no, 
read Bram Stoker. Um, no, uh, you know, read Anne Rice. So I kind of <laughs> had that thing growing up in the Stephen King thing as well. Um, but I feel like a lot of the people we've talked to thus far have, uh, and this isn't a criticism, it's just a right. reality of the conversations we've had. But it's like, you know, you know uh, the, the horror element was a counterculture to my um, family structure. Uh, mm. So it seems like this, that, that you were in step with, with your family um, and kind of pursuing that as a, as a passion. Well, it was interesting because well, my, let me so speak my, for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. I think you're you're right on though, man. Like I, well, here's the funny thing. So my mom was into it and was very helpful and was very supportive. And my dad didn't quite like. My dad was a big sports guy. Always, always had. Still is a big sports guy. Sure. And so yeah. at the time, he didn't get it. And I think like for a minute there, he was concerned because all you know. And, and it's important to remember that in the '80s, we also had like the video nasties. And for some reason, people were still concerned about the devil coming through whatever medium backwards records and all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot going on in the eighties that was like this, this force against horror films. And so I think he had a lot of that concern of like, uh Oh, if you're, if you're watching Freddy Krueger, is there a part of you that wants to emulate that behavior? Um, and I don't, and I, and I think Ronald you know, Reagan think he, making that statement about a nightmare on Elm street, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a time. portion Wait. of adults in the eighties for sure. Yeah. That, that Wait, thought did, exactly like what you're saying, Steven, that, you know, like, if you watch this shit, like you have to be fucked up too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I think in the beginning he was very nervous about that, but then to his credit, you know, once he, I think realized that I liked these things because I thought they were cool from a storytelling perspective and a makeup perspective and all that, he really, you know, he came around very quickly. I mean, he actually, I remember that like for one birthday he bought me, remember the old scream and model kits. They were like these old, you know, kind of plasticky model kits for a while there. And they had Freddy Krueger and Jason. He bought me the Freddy Krueger screaming. Oh, um, do you like, still have it? I do actually. Oh my God. That's, inc- <laughs> that's incredible. That is honestly incredible. Yeah. I'll send you guys a photo. My, you gotta send my a picture da- of it. We'll get that on our Instagram for sure. Yeah. Uh, my mom. So my dad bought it for me and he and I put it together and then my mom actually hand painted it. And so, yeah, I keep it. Cause I'm like, Oh, the earliest like Freddy Krueger thing I had. Yeah, that so. is incredible. That's yeah, really cool. so he he came around, but yeah, so it's a it's a really interesting thing about environment and, and horror and, and how that all works, right? It's crazy. Yeah, awesome. Um, so we talked about how you got into horror and into filmmaking. When did you start making films, and how many how many like how many films have you been a part of? Would you say? <laughs> uh, so overall, I would say that it's definitely in the neighborhood of like thirty to forty, if you're counting. Um, like the stuff I was involved in with the sci-fi channel movies that I've made short films, things I've helped produce, you know, so across the spectrum and I'm taking that from post high school. So I kind of look at everything in high school was just kind of like, you know, playing around, trying to like get an understanding of it. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to just understand storytelling and camera and all that kind of stuff. And then after, um, high school is when I kind of set the clock and then, yeah. So I would say about like, you know, 30, 30, 40-ish, somewhere in there. And what was your uh, approach into filmmaking? Like, did you start as a, you know, like, shooting? Did you start as a writer? Yeah, well, so so my approach um, initially, yeah, was trying to get screenwriting things and, and trying to, and what's funny is, like, I had no luck. <laughs> like, you know, mostly no luck. No one wanted to read the screenplays. Yeah. No one wanted to look at the movies. Um, so then I went into post-production. I got uh, a job with... Um, it was a company was called uh, Franklin Waterman Entertainment, but they basically were doing everything for the Sci-Fi Channel. So I actually worked with Bruce Campbell 
on a couple of movies um, that they did. He did uh, one called Alien Apocalypse. Um, he did a directorial debut called Man with the Screaming Brain. Um, oh my god, so, I watched that in uh, in college in a film class, actually. Man with the Screaming Brain? Yes. Oh, Bruce will be happy to hear that. <laughs> I, I did, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, we, we had this, yeah, this guy, so he, uh, I went to Kent State University in, in Ohio, and um, he recently passed away, the 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 guy that taught the, the class, his name was Robert West, and he had one film he directed um, that was like his credential. Uh, but And it was called <laughs> right. The Wednesday Children, I think. But he, huh. he was a big Bruce Campbell fan, and he was really against people coming in and being like, I loved it because it was campy. And, and he always like forced people to say, like, well, why was it campy? What, what made it campy? What mm. was the context? You know, dissect this a little bit more. It's not, and this isn't me speaking, this was him, but he would always sure. say, like, it's not enough just to, to like it, you, you know, like it, 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 you have to have some deep-seated reason. So he would really encourage you to think a little, little deeper, but I, I don't necessarily agree with that philosophy. I, I feel like you can't just like something, just like something. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. A movie is what you make it. And, and that's also why I think, like, when we talk about movies, I try very much not to say, like, oh, that movie's terrible. I usually try to lead off with, like, oh, you know, for me, the movie didn't really work. But I want to make sure that the, that the weight of that is on for me, right? Because if somebody really loves, um, like, for me, Interstellar didn't really work. Um, but I have friends that love that film. And that's fine. You know, so I'm like, whatever works for you in a movie, cherish it, talk about it, celebrate it, tell everyone about that film. Yeah, um, and the if it doesn't, statement is on. like, that movie's terrible for me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You know. Yeah. And that's what's so. great about movies and I guess anything, any form of media is that it exists now because somebody loves it. Even right. if you don't yeah. personally, like somebody does, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think we spend way too much time, or, or maybe this is passing. I hope it is. It feels like for a long time we want to spend, you know, a good amount of time tearing things down or trying to get consensus on a movie or a thing. And I always just thought that was really weird because I'm like, look, I love uh, Puppet Master 3. I think it's a, you know, I've watched that movie a million times. I think it's great. Um, I know that maybe there's not a lot of people that love Puppet Master 3, but I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, if you have that movie that you love, then cherish it and then just be its champion. And if it doesn't work, move on. That's the great news. We have a ton of movies to watch, so you don't have to really worry about stuff that didn't work for you. Yeah, no doubt. And mm -hmm. we were talking also in a similar thread about a similar concept before um, we got started here today, but we were kind of discussing the idea of moving away from the 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 culture hopefully moving away from the culture of using like crowd you know crowd funded mediums or or social media to to tear tear down uh you know to, just to be negative and and mm -hmm. hopefully we're moving in a direction where that that can be a place for positivity yeah i feel like now like instagram especially like i feel like it's such a, it's a positive like, place yeah it's so positive well in our in our space i guess so maybe yeah. we're living in a vacuum but right but i, I feel like the horror <laughs> community yeah. especially has just been so like like you said maybe it's just our space that we're in in the horror community i don't know but What's i feel like everybody is so like they come together with what they love and even if it's something that you don't necessarily love or didn't think that you like you're still like supportive of that person loving that yeah and yeah, and the, we've talked about this podcast in the past, but part of what inspired us 
to do this was you know my love for the X Files Files podcast from Kamal mm-hmm. Nanjiani, <laughs> which right. is a great fucking podcast. But <laughs> part such a cool crux of that podcast is they watch the episodes and then he goes on to uh like whatever it was alta vista and he he finds the message boards from the weeks after episodes were released and and is able to look at the dialogue oh, of the real com- time back in those from the yeah. nine from 95 oh, right God. and it's it's like discourse it's it's <laughs> like doctors and lawyers because not everyone had computers at that point in time i guess so it was probably people sure. that that you know either had one a little more work, well off, or, yeah. yeah or were well off to buy one mm. um but yeah. uh it's like it's actual dialogue and it's well thought out and now you go on there and it's like Mulder's a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's just like this yeah. te- it's just a terrible place at times. So we are hopeful we are moving away from that, I guess. I feel like as a society as a whole we're starting to move away from the whole uh hateful and judgmental we better culture be. towards each other. Yeah. Yeah. We're all starting to What's- be a little more kind. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. Hopefully, um, some of us. Yeah, no, I, I think I think kindness is winning out right now, and it's a wonderful thing, <laughs> you know, because we've been in a dark spot for a hot second, for and now sure. I think like kindness is is winning out overall. And um, you know, I think it's also I, I think we're seeing some something really interesting going on with with entertainment in the internet, um, just with like the websites. Uh, Drew McWeeny's been writing a little bit about this, and I think he's one. I love Drew McWeeny. I think um, he's got some good, great takes on stuff. And it's this idea like once upon a time, we kind of started with Ain't It Cool, right? Like Ain't It Cool was kind of like that anchor website back in the late 90s that started this nugget um, and everything flowered from there. And now we're kind of coming to like the end of that period where like kind of these entertainment websites that exist just for casting announcements or to announce a trailer or whatever. People are moving away from those. People are moving away from like you know, the little story in a big forum of all kinds of hateful stuff. It's just like, no, we want to read cool things. We want to experience cool things. And maybe we're just not going to be in that environment anymore. Maybe we're just going to, like you said, like go to Instagram and just share cool posters and fun video clips and just be like, yeah, this is the ticket. Yeah, <laughs> like, I actually, yeah. last night we were talking about this, the Joss Whedon accusation. Mm, um, yeah. Because oh, yeah. there's not a lot of context to the actual accusation. It's almost like a trailer for an accusation, which is available <laughs> online right now. And that yeah. concept to me is really, it's gross, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I really hope he, he you know, I, I don't know where sure, this is going to yeah. go, but well, I, I feel Whedon, like and I really hope he didn't do something shitty because that'll really break my heart. Yeah. But see, that's kind of the point, right? Is like for a lot, for, I think too long, I think we're starting to realize this now, um, was that a lot of websites existed on the idea of I'm going to tell you something about a trailer or a casting announcement or this rumor that may or may not be true. And for a long time, people ate that up. And then I think we all started to realize that we wanted more, we wanted more substance. Like I, um, I started uh, looking at the new Fangoria, um, that I don't know if they're going to make any more issues of, but, uh, you know, for the, for the issues that came out, the Phil Noble edited, um, there's some really cool stuff in there, you know, Rue Morgue, Rue Morgue has some like great, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, great Rue stuff. Morgue's great. Yeah. 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 So you read that kind of stuff and you're like, yeah, you know, I think I'd like less internet and like just more of this stuff, man. Let's just write, you know, even like Drew McQueen, I was like, write a coffee table book on like your thought. I'd read that. I'd be like, yeah, just, you know, 
pick a genre, pick some movies, and let's just get into this. Give me 20 pages. Let's go. Absolutely. You know? I, I miss those days where you would dig into a magazine and it would take you mm. like three to four days to get through the whole thing. And that, that's what Fangoria is even now. Yeah. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah, totally. it's yeah. Not that there's not a purpose or a function, obviously, of, of a lot of the movements that are occurring currently. It's just, yeah. it gets very dark and depressing. And I feel like a lot of the outlets at times, it's like, man, I just... I, I came here not to be sad, and I'm leaving sad. You <laughs> For know? sure, yeah. Right. But also, yeah. it gets a little lazy too, um, and that's it's not intentional. It's nobody's fault. It's just it becomes just easier to just write yeah. a blurb, you know, rather than an in-depth article. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I think we're kind of you know going through this big, uh, and I'm excited to see where it goes. I think it's going into a good spot, a more substantive spot, um, and I think in a couple of years. Um, we're going to see some really cool, it'll translate back to the internet. I guess that's the point is like, you know, right now it's in a printed version of Fangoria Rumorg, but I think that there's going to be some website that picks up on this signal and says, yeah, let's, you know, one, we're going to have to charge, it'll be a monthly charge, but two, we're going to have some really just like cool, comprehensive essays and some stuff that people, you know, quality over quantity kind of thing. Yeah, for it's, sure. I, I'm, I'm all about the idea of paying for, for yeah. something that's of value you know if it's a patreon yep. for a, a podcast that you like or if it's a subscription subscription based anything you know it's mm -hmm. yeah. there, there are people out there that are willing to pay for for quality content so yeah 100 percent. Yep. yeah yeah i think we've we, yeah. we are moving away from the oh let's download torrents oh. and let's yeah. lime wire new album or <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> in in this light you know yeah. in leading up to this we had a couple conversations about this i, I feel but do you feel you have a collective with other independent uh, horror horror filmmakers um, that have similar perspectives? Like, do you guys have a network, or do you aspire to have a network of, you know, like indie horror collectives? It's a good question. I, I think we aspire. You know, and uh, it's been something that's really been on my mind for the last two years because I don't think we support one another as much as we could. Um, you know, when you're making stuff, it's almost like magicians doing tricks for other magicians. You want to just kind of see if you can get away and appreciate what they're doing and yada. And when you look at like, let, you know, let's just call it like the stratosphere, right? So when you hear the Spielbergs and the Nolans and the Tarantinos and whoever talking, they're always watching each other's stuff. They're always like checking out each other's stuff and talking about it and excited about it, like sincerely excited about it. And and I don't think we've reached that in the like the indie horror community as much, right? Um, sure. and I think we can, so I've really been making it a mission, um, to reach out to other filmmakers that are doing stuff, um, you know, and, and make, make time to see what they're doing. You know, one thing with, um, indie anything pretty much is sometimes mm -hmm. it gets a little too competitive. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. and there's jealousy and like, Oh, well they did that and I can do that better. Um, and I love when communities just come together and all share. And that's what I was talking about earlier in our space, how I feel like everybody is so like, yeah commune uh communal and like uh willing to share and willing to support each other and i love seeing that you know like what you're talking about in your uh your space with the indie film community i love seeing that it you know what's funny too is this links to a conversation that again that we were having earlier i, I feel like we should have just recorded the conversation we were having earlier because we keep referring to it <laughs> and then talking about the same things again <laughs> yeah. but, but we we were having a conversation about the idea of of the horror community and how and, and how, like, you watch certain things and you're like, oh, my God, I want more of something like that, right? Um, whether it's a, a B-horror movie or mm -hmm. you look at things and you're like, God, I love infection films. Or, like, I love these mm. 
these movies where they're parasites or uh, critters that are coming out from underground and consuming people. Like, I want more of that genre. Um, whereas, whereas, you know, Steven, you, you, you put it pretty eloquently earlier, like, the action genre. It's like, okay, you, you have these one-hit wonders, but, <laughs> Jamie, would you say, like, no one watches Die Hard and then is like, oh, man, I... Oh, I need more of that. I'm going to dig deeper. Yeah. yeah. What's, what's the $10,000 Die Hard? <laughs> yeah, what's the yeah, $10,000 yeah. version <laughs> of Die wants Hard? <laughs> right. Yeah. But in I the mean... horror community, there's definitely an appetite for that. Yeah. So before we get um, into our movies, I'm, I'm really interested in not only your influences um, as filmmakers growing up, you know, mm. like Spielberg or whoever... But also yeah. your influences along the way to get you kind of to where you are now, like into your indie film space. Um, I feel like this is a place you're comfortable, and I'm interested to see, like, or to hear what kind of got you and got you interested into, you know, into making the kind of films that you make now. Sure, sure, yeah. So, um, in terms of influences, I think like. You know, what's really funny is like from a writing influence, I learned a lot from Chester Gould. He was the guy who did Dick Tracy. He was the original. He's the guy who created Dick Tracy. Okay. He wrote yeah. he wrote and drew Dick Tracy for like 46 years. Right. And he had this really interesting thing where, you know, remember in a newspaper strip, you have four panels, four boxes. Right. You have to. And, and every day he would catch people up in box one, progress the story in box two and three and then leave a cliffhanger in box four. An incredible amount of what a uh, daunting task oh, yeah what, you know what a tricky thing and this guy just did it and was one of the best and so i learned very quickly how to you know build sequences and build cliffhangers and stuff and so he was like a really um you know big figure in terms of learning out some some storytelling stuff um in terms of directors you know wes craven was huge i mean i think that just goes hand in hand with a Freddie, you know, introduction. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of the first like name, and and so I thought Wes was was great and, and a big influence. And then is Freddie you know, your favorite of the big three? Oh, for sure. Yeah, hands yeah. down. Uh, yeah, I, I just I love those films and I love that franchise. Um, but then like you know I got into like so like Sam Raimi, right? Uh, I love Spielberg, and I think that I know this is going to maybe sound crazy to some people, but I think that Sam Raimi. Uh, is like the Spielberg of horror in terms of the way that he's able to set up his shots. Um, Spielberg is notoriously difficult to replicate because he's got what's called the Spielberg wonder, um, where it is one shot, uh, like Jaws, for instance, and it starts as a wide, and then we'll go into a medium, and then we'll go into a close-up. And you think in your brain, you think it's cutting, but it's not. He's doing it all as one take. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't draw attention to itself. And, and Sam Raimi's the same way where like you look at dark man, the scene when Peyton Westlake, um, gets attacked in his lab, uh, when they're looking for the Belsarius memorandum and he gets thrown against the wall. And all of a sudden you see the shadow, uh, you know, Drake smoking his cigar and then it moves back over to Drake. And it's such an amazing shot that would be so difficult to pull off, you know? And you're like, wow, Sam Raimi is like doing some neck. And he always does. He always does. Um, and I know people get after him cause he's goofy or maybe he's not horror enough or, or whatever, but I'm like, no, for shot for shot. I think Sam Raimi is just, you know, an amazing person to study. Um, he, so it was like him. He does what like, he wants to do for sure. Yeah. He's, he's just a little punk rock. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, I love Sam Raimi. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and he's like really great with sound, right? He's one of the few directors that like really, you just know a Sam Raimi movie from his sound. And I think that that's yeah, a, I mean, almost the a sound design on like evil dead two is yeah. 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 I remember watching drag me to hell, you know, the, the I, seance. Just watch that, that again. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, the scariest part about the movie is the sound for sure. Yeah. And you're like, this guy works in sound, you know, he's just sitting there on that sound design, that sound mix being like now that louder. But, yeah. you know, it was like him and then like Peter Jackson. So it was like those guys that, to your point, I think I always kind of leaned into the guys that never really, I mean, po- you know, pre uh, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. <laughs> dead Alive, <laughs> so like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Dead Alive, the you meet the Feebles, Peter Jackson, where you're like, oh, you can definitely tell that this was a crew of people that just found a garage and put a lot of like, you know, sweat and tears into this thing and made it happen. Um, and then that led directly into the 90s. And the cool thing about the 90s was that that was the independent film boom, right? Um, and it felt like, you know, of course you have, like, Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino and Billy Bob Thornton and all these people making these really cool movies. Um, and I was just growing up in the 80s where it was all blockbusters and all big Hollywood. And now all of a sudden it felt very raw and real and to the ground. And you're, like, reading about these people like Cassavetes in the 70s who were, like, in, like, really crappy apartments with, like, tiny 8 millimeters yeah. trying to create something. You're like, this seems cool and exciting, and I want to do just like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, so That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so we, we can jump into some, some films here that we – uh, or that you had handpicked. Um, but before we do that, do you want to plug some stuff? Like, what are you working on now? Um, where where uh, can people find your films? Um, yes. So, um, yeah, so we actually have something really exciting. Um, I know we are talking a little bit about this earlier, but we finally got a new distributor for Killer Pinata. Um, Dark Side came in. And we wanted to do something. This is the fifth year anniversary of Killer Pinata. And so we were like, let's do a big dual disc set. And Dark Side was totally on board with it. So we're going to, we're actually working on that right now. So it's going to have the original edit that everybody knows right now. And then Paul and Ryan and I are working on kind of a revised edit. There's, you know, we looked at it and there's some things that we wanted to kind of just pick up a little bit, like the pace. So we want to cut about, you know, five, eight minutes out of it. We went through, we're recolor grading it, we're re-sound mixing it. Um, so we're kind of doing, you know, people will have both versions, but we wanted to try to do this version that would be a little bit closer to what we thought initially. Today, uh, on Instagram, what, one of our followers posted, un- unrelated to the fact that we're doing this right now, mm-hmm. a thing about Killer Pinata. Yeah, it was I like, saw like a screenshot of Killer Pinata, and then <clears throat> it was like, this movie's great. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. What are the chances yeah. that yeah. we're... So yeah, there's an appetite for it out there. Oh, yeah. No, we do social media checks probably. I mean, I know Jen does them, I think, you know, uh, every week or every couple of weeks. I do them. I try to do them, you know, a couple times a month. And it's really fun. It's a fun thing to see. Like people buy their own, you know, killer pinata pinatas and like, you know, do like screenings and stuff. And, that's, and I that's think awesome. I got to get a pinata like that down here <laughs> on the podcast. It's funny right? because as you were saying that, I was like, where do I get one? I was I looking around like, where am I going to put it once I find it? <laughs> So, so how how can people uh, stream this movie? Yeah, so K- KP is available. Killer Pinata is available for streaming on Amazon, um, and then it's available for rent. I think almost on everything, you know, Vudu, iTunes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, some really cool short films that we worked on. I think uh, it'd be fun for people to check out one called Eyelash. Um, that's going to be on. Uh, 
uh, Vimeo. We're going to bring that to Amazon, I think, next month. We just realized you can get short films on Amazon, so we're going to bring Eyelash to, to more folks from there. And then, um, and then, yeah, we're just working on a ton of shorts right now. We try to figure out what um, what the next feature is going to be. I'm constantly like playing with the idea of doing a second KP. Um, our last attempt at trying to get a second KP was an absolute disaster. So there's a little bit of like PTSD on that. But I think it would be fun to do one more with Eliza and just kind of wrap it all up. And anything else that you want to plug before we jump into the movie so you guys ready to talk about some uh, indie films uh one last thing i'd like to throw out there is that um if there's folks out there that like all ages stuff i actually have a comic that just came out called gr8 gr-8 hyphen eight um and basically it's like calvin and Hobbes meets star wars so we have a couple of issues of that out now a comiXology and it seems to be getting a good um good reception so yeah if you're a comic fan it's out there i think it's cool where can people get their hands on that yeah uh, comicsology right now, and then I know that there's collected editions that have come out later, but definitely like the first couple of issues are on comicsology. We're going to talk about some indie films here. So mm-hmm. the format here is presupposing that a lot of folks have not necessarily seen some of the more independent films. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're gonna focus a little more on describing plot um, summary than we typically do. Yeah. Um, so, so Jamie's going to take a movie. I'm going to take a movie. Steven's going to take a movie in that order. Um, two of these movies were provided to us from Steven. One of these movies was directed by Steven. So obviously he will be talking about that one. But Jamie, what are you going to talk about here? Okay, so the first movie we're going to discuss is the world famous Thanks Killing. It's Thanksgiving and all that. We should go around and say what we're thankful for. I'm thankful that your mom has the juiciest in town. Back in the 1500s, in the settlement of Kralberg, an old Indian by the name of Feathercloud was dishonored by a pilgrim. Feathercloud necromanced a turkey. A turkey that would stop at nothing to get what he wanted to kill. Everything's going to be okay. You don't believe me, do you? I do believe you. Woo! Yeah, so this is <laughs> an annual treat. Yeah. Uh, your blood tastes like cranberry sauce, meanie. So, Jamie, give me some deets on this movie. So, 2009, directed by uh, Jordan Downey. You know what's funny about this movie is it's one that I... I guess we'll get into this, actually. Uh, let me get through the summary before I cut myself off. Yeah, just, just uh, so tell us what this is about. Essentially, yeah. it's about a killer uh, fucking turkey. I don't know what else we even need to say. Um, <laughs> what I love about this movie is it starts off... It's one of the only movies I've ever seen that starts off with a close-up of a breast. <laughs> just the, oh my gosh, yeah. The largest female breast. Um, female penguin... Or female pilgrim. Penguin. Um, <laughs> so it starts off with the first thanksgiving ever right after the first thanksgiving um somehow this turkey got there's a story in there somewhere so i never there's, really there's a possession yeah there's occurs, some yeah. sort of possession with a talisman um i don't know if any of that's really too important um we cut to uh essentially like a road trip like a fun 
like kids getting off college for Thanksgiving break, which is amazing for any college student. Can't wait to get home and see your family. Except these kids run into a fucking killer turkey along the way. Um, not everybody has that pleasure. Uh, it's like five kids. You have the typical setup. You have the jock. You have the nerd. The redneck. The promiscuous. <laughs> the promiscuous yeah. woman. Um, and then the, you know, the smart, intelligent girl, I guess. Um, anyways, they break down along the way. The Jeep has some issues. Uh, this is where they meet. they meet the mythical turkey. The turkey hitches a ride follows them home for their uh, annual Thanksgiving tradition, and a lot of fun ensues along the way. Um, it's hilarious from beginning to end. I don't want to give... Yeah, we're <laughs> yeah, not, not going to do any spoilers in this, but it ends like you think it would. Uh, <laughs> the movie is pretty much as it sounds. So I was looking on IMDb, and I think the budget listed on this was like 3500 bucks or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And, and, <laughs> and I think the release date is 2009, oh, like I believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nine. So that's like remarkable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really? $3,500. $3,500. $3,500. And you have some like, I mean, what? first of all, some yes. amazing gore effects. And, yeah, for uh, that kind of budget, Jesus. Must have oh, been yeah. just like donations. Yeah. Because I somebody... mean, yeah, it's low budget, but still, like you said, there's some there's some great effects in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, when I saw that, I was very confused. It, but look here, right, right here on IMDb, is this accurate? By the way, Stephen, like, do you maintain your IMDb page for uh, your your films? Um, yeah. So I go in and enter them in. <laughs> so well, it's weird, right? Because sometimes you can enter stuff in, and then weird information gets in there anyhow, and I don't know how that quite what the arithmetic is on that. Um, and yeah, there's been incorrect things reported about killer pinata. So my guess is though, is that they, they did probably have, <clears throat> excuse me, a budget of, of close to 3,500. And I think probably what happened is they, they just had a, a good talented group of people around them that, you know, probably undercut their rate, but they got a real out of it kind of thing. Um, cause like there's some stuff towards the end with Turkey where he's like glowing. I don't want to give the story point away, but He's like glowing and stuff. That has mad turkey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like, hey, well, I also that right like there, how you refer you know? to him as Turkey. Like he's. <laughs> well, I mean, what, that is his name, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's gonna turkey with two e's, I believe, on the end. No why for that guy. Um, <laughs> no why so, for that guy. Yeah. So good. So yeah, I feel like uh, you know, they, they thirty five hundred is probably right, and then they just were able to get some help along the way. Uh, um, but it's remarkable. I mean, the the movie, some of the humor, and it's really sharp. And um, yeah, Thanks Killing's a a great. Oh little my film. god, the the puns and shit that they use throughout there, like at the end when it's there's when some says, serious uh, one liners. Peck, peck on someone your own size. Yeah, peck on. Someone. <laughs> you know what's funny is I've seen this movie probably three or four times previous, but this is the first time I've ever actually watched it. You know what I mean? Like sat down, mm. paid attention. Um, I texted John and I was like, I feel really fucking weird watching this by myself because <laughs> I feel like movies like this, this genre especially, I feel like is meant to be enjoyed, you know, with a group with of friends, friends that appreciate the, the um, genre. I was, I was yeah. telling him like Greasy Strangler, for instance, is a movie that I mm, watched by yeah. myself and it was funny, but I felt we- weird watching it by myself. I watched it with friends and we were all like dying laughing. It was, it was a great experience. Um, and that's how I think Thanks Killing, Thanks Killing especially... Um, and all these movies we're going to talk about are best enjoyed with groups. But anyways, I was watching by myself 
laughing out loud like a total creep uh, because it's it's really fucking funny. Uh, no, like when the when turkeys having coffee with the sheriff in the kitchen, they're like having polite conversation about the weather. I, yeah. I mean, you're just like this is amazing. Stephen, do do you know any of the people affiliated with this movie? I don't. I was like looking at that earlier, trying to look at their writers and, and editors and stuff. No, I, I haven't worked with anybody on there. Um, but all I could think is like, man, um, Thanks Killing really did inspire a, a group of movies that came after it. KP, you know, Killer Pinata being one of them. I think Carousel. I haven't asked, asked Steve uh, if Thanks Killing kind of inspired him, but it feels like they're of a piece, you know. And I know that um, one scene in Killer Pinata was directly inspired by Thanks Killing, which was the sex scene. And we thought the sex scene <laughs> in Th- Thanks Killing was so outrageous that our response was, well, let's let's do one. Let's see if we can try to make it weirder than that scene. Um, and we'll volley it back to Jordan. <laughs> you know, and just see where this whole thing goes. So that very much was in, in you know, a, a very respectful nod um, and smile to, to Thanksgiving. The next one we're going to head to, I'll talk about here. Another holiday. Another holiday. No holidays are safe after 1978. <laughs> um, so this one is a little film called Easter Sunday. <laughs> It was an idyllic day. Oh! Oh, you guys took my lightning! Until Douglas Fisher returned from the dead. Call a paramedic! To resume oh! his reign of terror. What are you doing in my daddy's church? No one is safe on ah! Easter Sunday. 2014, directed by um, Jeremy... Was it Jeremy Todd Moreland, I believe his name is? Yeah, Jeremy Todd Moorhead. Moorhead. Um, so, Robert Zadar, also known as the Maniac Cop, for those who have seen Maniac Cop, uh, and Ari Lemon from uh, the original Friday 13th, the, the kid mm-hmm. that plays Jason. Uh, if you've ever seen the Crystal Lake Memories uh, uh, compilation, which is a really, really wonderful oh, so story about the uh friday 13th franchise he he's he's all over that but uh both those guys are in this this very very independent uh film which per imdb says had a ten thousand dollar budget so uh robert zadar must have known somebody affiliated with the project working um, with a shit ton of money compared to thanksgiving yeah. <laughs> twice the budget king's ransom yeah um, <laughs> The entire film, I feel like, is riddled with uh, homages and and nods to the genre. But the the film starts with this guy assembling like a paper mache mask. So it's very much like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three when she's making the house in the beginning. Mm, yeah. Um, so he's assembling this paper mache mask, which you find is actually an Easter Bunny mask, uh, which he puts on. Um, and that's the, uh, the the thing he keeps over his face as he, he serial kills. But there's this guy, uh, his name was Douglas Fisher. He was a serial killer um, who went on a rampage and he was killed by the police on Easter night. And his mask was this Easter mask and he uses an axe uh, as well as other weapons to off, off the uh, characters. But he's killed and then 24 years later 
is where the story takes place. Um, and there are these kids that are like these band kids that are basically probably the friends we grew up with, Jamie, um, that are in this like very strangely almost like boy band esque <laughs> uh, music group. Um, and the, the dude's actually pretty good at singing. Um, but they take what's equivalent to a Ouija board at band practice one night um, and they're drinking beer and you find that the one kid in the band is related to the guy that was killed 24 years earlier. It's very, like I said, made by fans, I feel. Uh, the references to like Italian horror are pretty obvious here because they like have... <laughs> the eyes thing like he keeps killing people by like boiling their faces in like hot dishes <laughs> essentially like um and and like ruining the eyes and i feel like that's a theme that you see in italian horror quite a bit uh yeah. it's it's pretty campy but there are some some special effects uh in comparison to thanks killing which used more practical effects there are some there's actual cgi in this movie well they had money to work with on this yeah 10 grand yeah uh, yeah, I was reading on IMDb the these this family is like eating dinner in a food establishment and this is part of one scene and the, the guy's like oh the Vernons are out there and it's in reference to uh, Behind the Mask of the Rise of Leslie Vernon which is huh. cool uh, we love that movie um, mm. but uh, Stephen what are your thoughts on this movie what inspired yeah, we... you to pick it well, you know, so we were talking earlier about kind of like, yeah, the, the rabbit hole of always trying to find more obscure things. And so when we're working, we have movies on in the background. We made a, an agreement years ago that the only movies we would have on would be like two star movies. <laughs> you know, like we want it. And it quickly, you know, when you're going. And so uh, Easter Sunday was streaming at one point on Amazon, I think. And um, we just picked it randomly. And every once in a while, you know, you get one that kind of draws your attention and I remember Paul and I watching that opening scene and we were both just we thought it was remarkable, you know, for their budget and what they were doing, like the level of effects, particularly like their their um, yeah, their digital effects. Um, and and we said, yeah, like these guys clearly are horror fans that made a horror movie and you like that vibe. There's something fun about it. And really, it's not threatening. Um, and it does have that tongue in cheek. But just from an effect standpoint, I mean, I, we actually reached out to them after watching the movie to be like, hey, who worked on your effects? We'd like to work with them, <laughs> you know, because oh. clearly you can. Did deliver. you end up working with them? No. So here's the interesting thing. I give like a lot of credit to these guys because basically when we connected with them, they were very much of like, we're not going to make movies for a little bit. Like we kind of made our movie and maybe we'll make movies, but we're we're taking a break from that. Like one, I think the guy who was actually doing the effects told us that um he was thinking about maybe doing more music. Uh, hmm. So at that time, and maybe it's changed. This was a couple of years ago. Um, but they were really, really cool and very approachable. And yeah, we just thought like out of that sea of kind of micro budget and on Amazon at one point, there were just so many micro budget horror efforts that it really kind of rose to the top. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is a this is a fun movie. And so we've, we've actually told quite a few people about it since watching it being like, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a fun night with friends. You'll see some good gore stuff. You'll see some good effects stuff. Um, it's, it's worth a watch. So, yeah, I, that, that really sums it up for sure. Um, and in terms of writing style, 
there are so many lines that are similar to some of the zingers from Thanks Killing. Yeah, and as, and as you mentioned earlier, I, I think they need to be given a lot of credit for getting like Robert Zadar and, and Ari involved. You know, I, I think um, having gone through trying to get talent attached to stuff, like it, it's more daunting than people think. I think they look at it and they say, oh, well, as long as you have enough money or whatever. But it is just background but, stuff. Like clearly Wait. You, they didn't have enough money. So they, they yeah. They had to do something, yeah. you know, and they, and, they, and they got it. And, and yeah, it can be tricky. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, a, a lot of respect to them for, for getting everything they did on that budget. It was cool. All right. So that's Easter Sunday. So you want to jump in and, and, and uh, talk about our last film here, which is yeah. Killer Piñata? <laughs> the Killer Piñata, deadliest of all piñatas. La Piñata. She does not understand his hatred. She only understands that he needs to avenge those that were bullied. Yeah, so Killer Pinata is a 2005 release um, about a, uh, <laughs> a group of kids. We're starting to see a theme. And uh, we have Lindsay Goodman, um, and she's coming home for thanks, uh, Thanksgiving break and wants to throw a little party, and she's kind of going through some personal things. And what doesn't help is that at the same time she arrives, her father brings home a pinata. Uh, for her brother's birthday, who witnesses other piñatas getting beat at the birthday party and basically decides that he's going to take revenge on humanity and teach them a thing or two about <laughs> bullying and oppression. <laughs> <laughs> and he does. <laughs> and he does. He wakes up, chews himself free, and uh, hunts them down one by one and showing them what's what. <laughs> Yeah, this this film's a lot of fun, and as we had mentioned, our incredibly talented and, and beautiful friend Eliza Morris is the the final girl of this movie. So she's um, she's a great lead in this, and the the shots I, I think for Jamie and I of Chicago it are just so gives me all the yeah. Feels. All the, the Chicago feels, yeah. The owl in the like beginning, just the, yeah. The owl at the very beginning, I was like, oh god. Which is a bar in Chicago that Jamie and I actually, I think it's like the fourth time we've talked about that show. bar <laughs> on this show. Um, but everyone drinking Half Acre beer, which is like our favorite oh. brewery. Um, when we lived in Chicago, we lived like 1.2 miles from Half Acre, yeah, if that far, and we spent many a walk down the street drinking the growler, like we were talking about. Yep. Um, throwing a football back and forth or baseball. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, and just the half- shots of the alleyways too and the the apartment setups and, and the the basements, like every basement in Chicago looks the same. In every like garage. Yeah. Yeah, the alley and oh man. Well remember we were talking about that and that was really important. We were like, we want to make a Chicago um based horror film but i feel like when we talk about chicago-based horror it's like you know you're talking about child's play you're talking about Candyman. they're getting certain things but it's like 
I, I never really felt that they got like that. And that's not, I love both those movies, but I was like, yeah, let's see the garages. Let's see the, let's see like Chicago, you know? And oh, it's, I mean, so I think there are two versions of Chicago. I think there's the version sure. of Chicago that, that yeah. is the magnificent mile, which someone looks at in <laughs> a magazine or on online and is like, Oh, that's what Chicago is. And then you go there and then you realize like, no, no, it's the small neighborhoods that comprise Right, the city that really made the Chicago that you guys represented is the Chicago that somebody who lived lived or lives in Chicago knows. Yeah, right, for sure. Yeah, and and the average yeah. person who's never been to Chicago may not get that, but anyone who's like been there, lived there, feels it immediately. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope so. I'm glad that actually came across. Oh I'm no, doubt, really yeah. sure, but I was like, yeah, okay, you know, we've, we've we've tried. <laughs> Even <know>? the store, <laughs> like where the where the pinata you know, is purchased. That's a yeah. store that like my wife used to shop in to get crafts. Every, when yeah, she was to get pregnant. crafts. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. When she was pregnant, she was just like a craft creep. And she used to go in uh, you know, a little like uh Mexican craft store up the street and it was exactly that store, I swear to God. It, it, it was just like, oh man. The watching today I was Metro smiling the whole whatever. time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I have to say, like, it, it was amazing when we made that movie, because, like, so we we're talking about Half Acre. Half Acre not only gave us the okay to use them in the movie, but then they sent over two cases of beer for us to use in the film. Oh, my God. Um, Vintner's Chips, uh, what they're eating in the kitchen there, they, same <laughs> thing. They, they gave, say, gosh darn, or, yeah, uh, gosh darn, or, <laughs> gosh darn, fracking chips. <laughs> yeah, fracking chips. Uh, yeah, so they uh, sent us over a bunch of chips and gave us the release, and, you know, it kind of went that way through everything. You know, all the restaurants around uh, Logan Square we were filming, they donated catering for the cast and crew. And so it just was like this really cool thing where everybody got it and, and Chicago just kind of showed up. So it was it was nice. That's funny because I remember Eliza texting John and I while she was making the movie and she was like, guys, I'm shooting this uh, movie. And they're just like <laughs> giving us so much half, like more half acre than we more can drink. Acre, and John yeah. and I were like, get us in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that was because the year we, we moved, moved back. Yeah. yeah, and because when we moved back to Youngstown, we just like we can actually get Half Acre now. It gets distributed yeah. here. It was before the COVID thing, but yeah. um, at the time we were like that was all we like. We missed Chicago, but we missed Half Acre. Yeah. Like, we missed our friends and shit, obviously most. But uh, Half Acre was like the next thing that we missed the most. Yeah. People would be like, "Hey, do you guys miss Chicago?" And we'd be like, "We really miss Half Acre." Yeah, we miss Half Acre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so big ups to half acre for supporting a, for sure. a, a movie that they were like what <laughs> how how long did this film take to make very quick um surprisingly quick so the the just real quick uh timeline on it was that we started talking about it in july like hey maybe we should make a movie called killer pinata about a pinata takes revenge uh, I wrote the script in August, maybe beginning of September, kind of through there. We started fundraising at the end of September, October, and literally a week after we hit our fundraising deadline, we were filming. We did a we did a week of pre-production, which in hindsight, like, just sounds insane. Never do that again. But like, got it done, <laughs> and then we started filming. We filmed for eight days straight. We filmed eight twelve-hour days straight, and Damn. it was just yeah, exhausting by the end of it because. First few days were fantastic. It was just dialogue coverage, and we were just knocking a lot of just the overall acting scenes out. And day three is when we introduced the scenes with the puppet, um, and everything ground to a halt because normally when you have like a puppet movie, 
you can have a raised set so the puppeteers can be underneath the floor and kind of moving it. But, you know, we don't have the budget for that. So I usually operate the puppet. I was going to ask how the operation of the puppet worked. Yeah. So I operate the puppet. I'm six foot three. And so it's really (laughs) tough to to manipulate that puppet and the camera and not get everything. So it's a lot of like contortions and stretching. And so whenever you have a day like that, so the first day we actually had the puppet move was the day that we shot the sex scene slash vomit scene. (laughs) And that day it was like, it just ground to a halt. It was exhausting. Like just trying to get the puppet, trying to get the vomit, trying to get everything. Um, So then by the end of it, we were just all raw and tired and, you know, broken. And then we took a couple of months off to edit the movie and we realized, and this goes back to that reshoot thing um, that probably like around February, we were like, we need to beef up the back half of the movie a little bit. We did not have the blowjob sequence. We didn't have the ear rip. We didn't have a lot of the shots of KP moving around. So then we convened everybody again in May for two days of reshoots. And all we weren't reshooting scenes. We were just adding things to scenes. So taking out shots of a stoic puppet and putting a more movable puppet in there just to give it more life. So all have, your, I'd say like, have your parents seen this movie? That's a great question. I don't know if my parents have seen this movie. My wife's parents have seen this movie, and they're adorable. They're the nicest <laughs> people in the world. And I didn't know how to really, um, you know, broach that because I was like, "You're going to see some things in this, and probably have an opinion." But yeah. you know. <laughs> I just was curious about that because, like, I we mentioned this earlier, but being musicians, you know, Jamie and I err more on the side of like hardcore music, so the first time we actually put music together that was like, okay, this is something shareable. And then you show your parents and they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? What's happened here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's like, no, good for you. Yeah. But, uh, (laughs) but I just was curious to see like, uh, if your if your family had, I wonder a lot. It's funny. We know Eliza's parents very well. As I was watching this today, I was like, I wonder if Eliza's shown this to her parents. (laughs) Oh, so I I can answer that question. They have. Uh, We threw a premiere for Killer Pinata at the Logan Theater in Logan Square. And we brought the cast in. Oh, it was super cool. Uh, And we actually sold tickets. We sold out. And that was fun. And the projection system at the Logan was fantastic. It's like one of the best viewings of that movie. I mean, it was just so crisp and amazing. Um, and Mike, Eliza's dad, Jane, Eliza's mom showed up. I think maybe even her brother and sister were in the audience as well. And I was like, this is great. And I'm pretty sure Mike was not happy with the film. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's funny is like, for whatever reason, I have an amazing rapport with that man. So I'm going to text him tomorrow morning and ask him. (laughs) Yeah. I, I didn't see him directly. I don't know that he talked to me, but I think he... I think it's Jen may have got a vibe. That, yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, how I don't dare know you, how. sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, a, it was a really fun screening. But yes, the Morris family showed up in mass uh, and saw it in the theater, which I was like, hey, at least you saw it like, like the best version possible of watching this movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> What's a, what, so what is it that Eliza's eating at the end in the form of a heart? Oh, this is going to be such a disappointing answer. It is literally one of those um, kind of like chocolate orange balls that you find during the holidays. Like it's oh a, god, those are so delicious. Smash. 
Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, it's like they're like a kind of a smaller softball size thing. So we actually had the puppet, that particular puppet, filled with like actual hot, you know, like you know, syrup and candy <laughs> and stuff you could actually eat. Um, so, yeah, so she had a delicious day on set that day huh. and down the basement. Yeah. I love, you know, what's funny is this most recent watch, I like the puppet or the pinata kind of has like a personality. Yeah, he like, does. With, like I swear to God, sometimes I can like see it's like, like he's what smirking. he's thinking or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you little uh, sly bitch. You. Yeah. <laughs> and I love well, the sound that he makes of the little pinatas. I love that you kept the sounds in, like uh, when he's moving yeah. around. I love it. That was all by design. So we, one of our biggest debates was, do we do we have him talk? And I was firmly against it. Oh, I was like, I'm so turkey talks. Yeah. Yeah, Chucky talk. You know, if he if he talks, like then we have to figure out who he is. You know, um, and I like the idea of Snoopy. I like the idea of kind of a demented Snoopy that yeah. would like you could just get everything from a look, and um, and so I did that's a lot a of work really with really interesting. A demented oh, like, Snoopy. That's a great. That's a great. Yeah, I love that yeah. you use that as inspiration. I love that. Yeah, because that was always the thing in the in the Peanuts cartoons. You know, you could always see what he's thinking. Yeah, and so when we were building the puppet, we did actually a lot of tests. Um, trying to figure out like how he would look like to your point, like trying to give him a personality without it. And then um, we actually had uh, a friend of ours. She's a Welsh voiceover um, actress. She's been on radio and a bunch of stuff. Her name is Davinia Palmer. And she came in and actually gave him uh, a performance. So Davinia and I sat in, in her little studio for a day and we live taped her performance and so she would watch and do kind of adr and she gave him all of his little squeaks and grunts and grinds mm. and so she figured out that piece of it awesome um yeah so it was really cool, cool yeah. putting together you know yeah and i think a lot of that personality we were just talking about is a credit to you and your you know camera work because like the little cuts to like right to his face like it, it's all perfect timing you know the the camera work honestly and i again we, we talked about this earlier and i'm not trying to blow smoke because we're on the phone with you right now but <laughs> the, of the of these three films, I I definitely enjoy this one the most, and I I do think it's because it there is a uh I feel like a level of professionalism in the way that it's filmed. Even after that the BJ scene, like when the when the guy falls on the ground, and <laughs> there's that shot of like the, oh. <laughs> the the tip in front of his face. It's that's a really it's like a Welsh. It, it's hilarious and it's oh, campy, man. but it's a well shot scene. You know what I mean? And, um, it's just funny too. Like the, the mass amount of blood there. Uh, yeah, it just, uh... <laughs> also I cannot, we can't get through this conversation without me bringing up my favorite, absolute favorite scene. Maybe of a lot of movies is the montage. <laughs> the weapons Dude, montage. The, the weapons montage. Yeah. Oh my god! We've been I in laughed, a group chat with Eliza all I week talking about so this. I so hard when I watch that. I yeah. still to this like I, we had it on in the background here earlier, and I was like, I had to turn my head away to laugh. Yeah, and I can't remember. I think maybe Megan. So I co-wrote this with a, a good friend of mine, very talented writer. Her name's Megan McManus, and I think the montage was Megan's idea. She's like, let's do a weapons montage, but it's got to be like the most ridiculous weapons. And it montage. is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I love it. Like it is like what yeah. American Summer. Like, yeah. yeah, it is we very were much talking like about that. that yeah. earlier. Like um, you know, like the the just some um, very crude rope and stick 
And she's like, yeah, this will work. And then like the the edit to where it's just like a fucking full hunting bow. Oh, my God. And he's like, he has a knife, like a crude knife, like cutting a piece of wood. And the next thing you know, it's like a, a sawed off shotgun. I just fucking love it. Yeah, I have to give a lot of credit to like my collaborators on this, too, because we're talking about the the filming, you know, the, the shots earlier and, and Paul Summers like is, is so good at that stuff. And, you know, he, like he just dies to get like really locked great shots like that. And so I give a lot of credit for Paul for delivering on a very, obviously like a very tight schedule that he was able to get some of those off. And then by the same token, Ryan Aldrich uh, was the one who came up with that guitar riff for the uh, montage scene. Yeah. And the <laughs> thing that I don't have that I I'm so sad I don't have is I was in LA and Ryan was here in Chicago recording that he had an electric guitar and he sent a video of him recording it. And it's him in his studio with one candle lit. the studio is dark. He's got that scene and it's him leaning back in an office chair with like the electric guitar, just riffing that out like a boss. <laughs> and I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, but it works. It's great. It's a great little piece of music. Yeah. 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 So. Oh God. And it might be because I I know Eliza's humor, but like when she's taking the lid off of the piss spray paint and then it's like, she's watching him spray the paint as if like, she just worked so hard. Like she's out of breath almost. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, that's why like Eliza was the perfect person to, to, like anchor that movie right because eliza is naturally like very funny and goofy but can can be honest you know and such a like tough thing to thread for sure and you know that really sums her up for sure yeah but can be earnest yeah i i totally agree yeah Yeah, she's she's great funny one one last question on this film uh before we before we wrap are you in this in any scenes in the movie uh did you hitchcock your way in no, I didn't Hitchcock my way in. I don't think I was actually just kind of reeling through this movie in my head. I was like, no, because I think, yeah, I, I was the puppet, so I was Kate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you're in gotcha. it. I was my hands in it. You know, you just don't see it. Uh, but yeah, the other movies, I you know jump in there here and there. Just so I'm not an actor by any means, so I'll pop in if we need it. But um, yeah, for the most part, I'm happy with just being KP's puppeteer, his bag man. So we are going to as soon as this Blu-ray. Uh, rendition is available we're gonna mm. pump out how everybody can find that um and in the meantime everyone please go check out this film uh on amazon prime you can stream it if you have amazon prime i've actually been sitting here uh, mulling the idea that maybe we should do <clears throat> once this comes out do it like a giveaway of the- we'd yeah. love that yeah yeah we'll, yeah we can we'll, definitely we'll, get that work and out. we'll buy one we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out but yeah yeah um we should do a giveaway that'd be that'd be really fun um but Steven, thank you so much, man. This Dude, has been so amazing. really fun. Uh, this has been a jimmy jam. This has been great. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> like we're so we're so fun. excited and honored to even have you on. So yeah, and you've been amazing. Appreciate well, your thank time. You. Thank um, you, guys. Yeah, and we'll we'll have you back on for sure, and we'll talk about some uh, more mainstream stuff. But this has been a a great uh, peek into the lens of uh, yeah, great dive some into horror. some yeah. unexplored type of stuff. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. No, I'd love it anytime. Thank you very much. Thanks All right, so man. Much, Take man. care. Take care.